Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Stefan Ledoux, who is now in Tokyo, but he has just started a very exciting new sustainability focused consulting、uh, business in Fukuoka. Thank you so much for joining, Stefan. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Today. I know we talked last year about inviting me from my previous position and I couldn't make it, so I'm happy to be there today to explain what we're going to do with,、uh, with Kodo. Yeah, it's wonderful. Let's start with the name Kodo. I love the name. There are three reasons that you chose the name Kodo.、Yes. Uh, tell us the Japanese reason. Yes, yes. So it, it's been a complicated debate to reach an agreement on the name、uh, because we have. I mean, Japanese colleagues in the project and more、uh, Western people, such as me. So, we had different expectations in terms of naming. And we came up with, with Kodo because、uh, so there's the Japanese meaning of, of Kodo, which means action in Japanese.、Uh, what we want to do with Kodo is to、uh, explain and help Japanese companies、uh, realize that they need to act now on climate. They cannot just talk or wait or think, they need to act. So, action is, is an important component. Um, the other meanings of the name uh, is uh, in Western languages, co is for cooperation,、uh, collaboration is the idea of, of working together. So we, we want to、uh, establish, a, I would say, teamwork relationship with our clients.、Um, and there's also a third meaning、uh, in、uh, the sense that you can see the C and O of, of Kodo as. A C and a zero for carbon zero. We want to focus on decarbonization. Climate change is, climate change is the most pressing issue now, and the priority for、uh, corporate sustainability should be on climate action. So we wanted to have this、uh, carbon neutrality ID in the name. So that, these are the different meanings hidden within the Kodo、uh, advisory name. Yeah, I love that idea of cooperation as well as Kodo in Japanese, meaning like momentum and movement, right? And then ka,、uh, carbon in there as well. So you got three different meanings. I love that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm showing your website right now. Yes.、Um, so you have your website is in English and Japanese, and you're、yes. also on Twitter and LinkedIn, right? Yes, exactly. We, wanted to, we, we want to position Kodo as a bridge between Japan and the world.、Uh, so, from the beginning, I, I wanted that、uh, we communicate both in English and Japanese.、Um, I think some other consulting companies in Japan are, are, are very domestic,、uh, communicating, only, communicating only in Japanese, and it cuts them from I would say foreign partners or even foreign clients that could be interested in、uh, working on their activities in Japan.、Uh, so, we wanted to have this dual approach. And we, are, we have also LinkedIn in English and Twitter in Japanese.、Uh, we chose the languages based on the I would say, main populations on those, those two platforms. Interesting. But you decided not to do French as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> We, I mean, I could have done it technically, <laughs> but I'm not sure the audience, the French audience, is, is so large. <laughs> right.、Um, but you're doing so many collaborations with Europe. So maybe、yes. your next step is to add a French version 
Why not? Why not? You you are so multilingual. Um, so do you want to introduce your team? Yes, yes, sure. Uh, just I have a small issue. I have still on my screen the chart of the calibration target. Uh, no, it's, it's OK. I can okay. see the website, yeah. OK, OK. Uh, so the team, uh, our, our founder is um, I see that someone is asking a French version. <laughs> yeah, Fafa uh, says, yes, please I, do I a French version. <laughs> I know <Wonderful>. that person. <laughs> I know that person. <laughs> Hello, Farid. <laughs> uh, so the, the team at Kodo, our founder uh, first, uh, is Okazawa-san. He's a former uh, banker, uh, Japanese guy, but he worked only in uh, European banks. Uh, he finished his career at BNP Paribas, the French bank, last year. And he decided to graduate from BNP Paribas to start this project focusing on uh, pushing Japanese companies to accelerate their climate efforts. Uh, because he worked outside of Japan and he saw as a Japanese citizen that there's a problem in Japan that things are not moving fast enough compared to uh, what's happening in Europe and other parts of the world. So, and the other thing he brought as a former banker is the, the understanding of the role of finance that I can explain a bit later in the, in, the, in the discussion. What we want to do is to use the pressure of finance on uh, Japanese companies to help them uh, understand that they need to accelerate. Uh, so this is our founder, Okazawa-san. And then um, my, my direct colleague is uh, Suzuki-san from uh, Amita. Amita is our partner company. Kodo is a joint venture between a financial company, MCP, and an environmental company called Amita. Uh, so Suzuki-san is, is a Japanese uh, uh, working on uh, circular economy uh, at Amita uh, for several years. And she also had extensive experience in, uh, in Europe, in the UK, in Italy, etc. Uh, we also have one uh, expert of decameralization uh, from Amita side as well, Shojima-san, and two uh, junior uh, research uh, officers, uh, Alexandra and Jeanne, who are uh, interning with us, uh, but actually part of the team and helping us uh, well uh, deliver the services for, for our first clients and for first partners. So we really have this, uh, I would say, diverse team combining uh, uh, Japanese domestic talents and more uh, foreign international expertise we want as I said, to be the bridge between Japan and the world. And to do that, we need the, that the team also is, is diverse and, uh, and international. Yeah, very important. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the motivations that you have designated as the ways that Japan uh, businesses can transition a little bit easier for more sustainable practices or decarbonization. Um, should we jump right in? You ready? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Um, so this first slide, uh, you were talking about how uh, investor influence, is that right? Yes, yes. Yes, this, this slide comes from a, a study from uh, the UN uh, Global Compact, which is the group of companies gathered by the UN uh, to support the principle of the UN with a strong focus on sustainability since a few years. And this study was um, uh, published at COP26 last year in Glasgow. And this, this, this chart shows that between uh, 2016 on the left and 2021 on the right, the pressure felt by CEOs 
of companies in the world uh, has changed. Uh, and in what we can see in dark blue uh, is that the pressure from investors and shareholders were, was felt by 18% of CEOs in 2016. In 2021, 31% of CEOs declared that they, they feel the pressure from investors, from shareholders when it comes to the sustainability plans of the company. So it almost doubled in five years. The only other group that increased uh, its, uh, its uh, level of pressure as felt by CEO is the first line, customers and consumers from 55% to 72%. All the other groups, employees, governments, NGOs, etc., are, are going down. So we have th these two groups, investors and shareholders and customers and consumers that have increased their influence on the sustainability agendas of, of big companies in the world. That's a message we want to highlight in Japan uh, because, um, well, what, what happens concretely is that some investors now uh, attack companies. Uh, they will attack the board. They will submit uh, climate resolutions. Uh, it happened last year in the US. It's happening uh, now in Europe. There's an example in France, for example, this month with Total Energy. Uh, attacked by some uh, activist investors who want Total Energy to improve its climate plans. Uh, so they submitted a resolution uh, and want it to be uh, proposed to all shareholders for voting at the end of this month. So this is happening. Uh, investors are pushing boards, are gathering other shareholders in those movements. And, and this is coming to Japan as well. Uh, there's uh, um, an attempt from uh, NGO called Kiko Network who joined forces with uh, an Australian NGO called Market Forces. So they, they buy shares in companies. And then once they have uh, shares, they, have, they are shareholders. So they are allowed to submit resolutions. And they are doing that on Japanese banks. So this is coming. And um, if, if the companies or the banks are not ready for that, if they don't have the arguments to explain that they have a, a plan to transition, to move from uh, theoretical targets to concrete action, they will be at risk because they won't be able to reply to those attacks. So yeah, that, that's Kiko Network, uh, Japanese NGO, very active on climate. Yeah, they've, uh, they've come up a few times on this talk show. Different people have okay. done projects with them. Uh, so this sounds like a great initiative that they're doing. Yes, yes, yes. We need we need people like like that who push uh, Japanese companies, uh, NGOs. So global NGOs are trying to do it as well. Um, I've been talking with some of them two or three years ago, and they told me that in Japan it's, it's difficult for them for those big NGOs like Greenpeace, WWF, etc., because they don't have as much support from the population as they have in other countries. Uh, because, well, one I think one issue of Japan is that uh, most people are, are not much much involved in environmental action, uh, and uh, the signals should come from the top, but they're not coming so much. Uh, so there's some kind of uh, I would say uh, immobilism, um, and and we need signals, uh, things to to uh, to create that pressure and, and create the movement. Yeah. I talked with an activist who is working with 350 or yes. 
And they were talking about uh, defunding the yes. Japanese banks that were funding the fossil fuel projects. Yes. And I know that's one of the things that you talk about. Um, recently, is it America now that uh, the investors are asking companies to disclose about where the money is going and more transparency in terms of sustainability? Um, have you heard of this coming to Japan as well? Um, yeah, so disclosure is a very big topic. Uh, I think that there are three things that uh, shareholders, consumers, regulators are asking from companies now. First thing is more uh, ambitious actions, better alignment with the price agreement and, and stronger targets. Something is more science. So no greenwashing, the, the targets should be uh, accountable. They should be aligned with standards, etc. And the third thing is disclosure. You need to explain your impact on climate, past impact, current impact, future impact. You need to explain your plans exactly that, that slide. And you need to explain your, your progress. So those three expectations are growing in the world. In some regions, like in Europe, it's uh, becoming more and more regulated. So it's not um, uh, something that companies can choose to do or not. Uh, in some sectors and some countries, they now have to do it. It's mandatory, uh, and it's 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 growing. And in the US, for example, there's this project of the um, security uh, securities and exchange uh, commission, which is basically the watchdog of the uh, um, US uh, trade exchange. Uh, and the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is preparing. Um, new set of rules to make it mandatory for US listed company to disclose their climate related financial risks. So it, it's, uh, it's happening in the US. It's already uh, the case in, in, uh, in Europe with the EU taxonomy, the EU green taxonomy. There's also the TCFD framework that is a framework um, initially uh, coming from G20 ministers of finance uh, supported by the um, financial stability board which is the international board making sure that the global economy is uh, not at risk of collapsing and also it was uh, supported by the former governor of the bank of england who is very very much active on those topics so tcfd is i would say at the moment one of the main framework in terms of disclosure of climate-related risks to which companies are exposed. Uh, there are other tools like CDP, uh, which is about uh, disclosing your impact on climate and receiving a score from A to D. So all those tools are being developed and more and more implemented and more and more adopted by, by companies. Uh, it's happening in Japan as well. Uh, so both TCFD and CDP are now widely, widely recognized by uh, Japanese companies. The problem, I think, is that uh, CDP and TCFD focus on disclosure of what's happening now. What is your impact now? What are your risks now? Uh, on the other hand, we have companies that set targets for 2030, 2040, 2050. We hear a lot about carbon zero 2050. It's kind of the standard that many companies align on. But between now and those targets in 2030 years, what happens? And that, that's the big question. And that's where a lot of greenwashing is happening because if there's no plan, it means that between where you're now and where you go, then there's no movement. There's no proof that you're going to do anything. 
And that's what we want to focus on with Kodo is it's the action plan, the concrete action plan to transition from where, where you are now and where you want to be in 20, 30 years as a company. Yeah. This is the missing link. And it was mm -hmm. a strong message at, at COP26 and other events recently. We need to move now from target setting to concrete action. Yeah, so important. And one of the things uh, you mentioned before we started was about how you really think change in Japan is going to come from abroad. And so when we're talking about uh, transparency demand from investors in America, or when we're talking about other countries changing, this has a lot of pressure on Japan. Uh, here you are talking about how Japan is so dependent on yes. international markets, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, some Japanese companies may think that they are safe because they are domestic, they are in Japan on this set of islands, uh, kind of protected from what's happening in the world, but it's false because they all have exposure to international markets. Uh, either uh, they have uh, foreign investors for, for listed companies, uh, either they have plans or already export uh, to foreign countries, uh, either they are in supply chains of uh, foreign companies. Uh, Sony, for example, is providing the sensors for the uh, iPhones. Uh, Apple has very strong targets for carbon neutrality by 2030. It means that if Sony is not able to deliver uh, carbon neutral sensors to Apple, Apple will need to find another provider for, for those, those sensors. So this is all connected uh, via uh, different uh, connections. And Japanese companies cannot just stay uh, following the only guidelines set by the Japanese government. This is not enough. They need to listen to what's happening outside of Japan, what companies in other countries are doing, what regulators in other countries are doing as well. Uh, if there are uh, uh, new taxes uh, in Europe based on the carbon footprint on products, when you sell uh, Shiseido cosmetics or Sony PlayStation or anything in Europe, you will have to take those taxes into account. And if your product products uh, produced in Japan have a high carbon content because the factories are using uh, coal powered, uh, coal, uh, coal produced electricity, you have a problem because competitors from Europe will maybe have lower carbon footprint and then lower tax, lower taxes. So this is That's all connected. So and, and I have, I have a fun example from Hiroshima. Uh, we have a famous uh, okonomiyaki sauce. And yep. I was talking to the Otafuku, uh, one of the sales reps, and he said they are having to change their packaging because mm. of export markets. Yes. That even on that level of having to change the amount of plastic that you use when you export, that is changing how they do business as a Japanese company. They also have a plant-based version of their sauce, but only for the export market. So yes. I say, please bring it here because there are people who want it here, but they're changing faster because of the exports to other countries, which have higher yes. standards for sustainability. So that's that's really good effect. 
Yes, yes, exactly. And that's something that I saw in different uh, fields. I, I, I work also on renewable energy, infrastructure development, and, and I, I saw Japanese companies do more outside of Japan than in Japan on that. So you're, you're totally right that Japanese companies seems to move faster outside of Japan because, uh, well, pressure from consumers is higher and maybe regulations are, are better. Uh, to support huge huge market right yes 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 <laughs> yeah. and 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 the demand from japanese consumers unfortunately is not so high uh, the pressure is not so high uh, i had a slide on that i don't know if you if you have it uh, where we see that um uh, it is it's a study that was done by uh gp morgan asset management and pwc showing that uh, in uh, nine countries uh including pan japan was one of the uh, lowest rate of people uh saying they agree with the sentence i buy from companies conscious of protecting the environment it's only 33 percent of japanese uh, people said that that they buy from uh, companies protecting the environment while in germany yes it is this one it's uh 47 percent indonesia china it's, it's much higher so uh, the level of, of agreement with the, this statement is lower in Japan. And what is striking also in, in, on this uh, chart is that the level of disagreement is the highest in Japan. It means that 22% of Japanese people, according to that study, know they buy from companies that do not uh, comply with environmental efforts. It, it's, it's a conscious choice that they make to not buy from uh, clean companies. It's actually a bit scary, I would say. Um, and, and it probably explains why this uh, Okonomiyaki source company has different packaging for European or other markets and Japan, because the level of expectation from consumers is very, very different. So it's, it's moving, that, but, but not fast And when I talk to business owners, and I make suggestions about changing in packaging or making more sustainable products here, they always say, the number one thing they say is, Japanese consumers don't care about that. And even a lot of like vegan options or more sustainable options we used to have in Japan, some small businesses, they mm. stopped doing it when the inbound tourism stopped because they said Japanese consumers don't care about that. It's yes. so depressing because yes. I meet people all the time who do care, but maybe that's right, that the majority aren't really thinking about it yet? Yes, yes, I think there's a problem. I, I don't know the reason, uh, but I think there's a problem of understanding of the need and the power that we have as individuals Every time we buy something, it's like a vote. We vote for a product. So we can vote for a clean product or a dirty product. And and maybe there's not uh, as much uh, in Japan as in Europe or in the US, this um, understanding that you have power as an individual to change society and to push at your small level when, with your vote and with your, your purchases. Uh, so maybe that's one reason. Maybe another reason is what we mentioned before, is that NGOs do not have the same uh, visibility in Japan than in, in other parts of the world. And it's more difficult for them to get heard from the population and to educate and to raise awareness. 
I think one other problem is uh, media. Um, uh, me media in Japan, I think, is not doing such a good work in terms of uh, education to sustainability and, and, and asking the tricky questions to politicians, to companies. Uh, and I see a lot of articles in Nikkei or other respected newspaper that are actually greenwashing. When you read, you see that well, they explained the effort and they present the solution as a miracle solution, but it's, it doesn't work. Uh, so I think the media should be more uh, demanding and play a more uh, aggressive role, I would say like some journalists do in, in Europe, in the US to, to push those, those Absolutely. topics. And, and train, train your media staff um, to understand about the, the benefits for Japanese communities, the benefits for Japanese economy, if there is a drive towards sustainability. And I think that's really what's missing. Um, there's still the idea here that's making sustainable changes too expensive or it doesn't pay off, right? Um, yes, yes. This data was horrible, Stefan. Yes, I know that shot is, <laughs> I was shocked when I saw that. So it's a study uh, from uh, uh, PW Research Center on uh, between 2015, the year of the press agreement, and last year, 2021, uh, the question was asked to people uh, uh, if they feel very concerned about the personal effects of climate change on their on their life and and, and everything, and the only country where uh, the level of concern has decreased is is Japan. In all of the countries in, in this chart, uh, Germany, UK, France, Spain, uh, so far I would say European countries that already have this image of uh, pushing for uh, sustainability, but also in Australia where public policies are not aligned at all with climate change and the government is not going in the right direction. Even in Australia, the population is more concerned now. In South Korea, which in some ways is following Japan uh, path on, on many topics, with a few years of, of uh, delay, uh, the trend is, already, is, is also different, it's going up. Japan is the only country here where people are less concerned now than, than seven, uh, six years ago. So it's very concerning. Oh, it's just so depressing. But I think this chart might give us some insight as to why <laughs> the status quo and the same as usual um, approach is happening, right? Can you explain this one? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was looking at, at uh, some data to explain what can uh, motivate motivate Japanese companies to, to move or what can uh, prevent, them, prevent them from moving. Uh, and well, there are different things that can move a company. One is top management. If top management has a vision, has the willingness to change things, they can uh, give an impulse from the top and, and it will uh, drive the company strategy towards a new direction. The problem and <laughs> that we saw on this chart is that uh, the average age of corporate presidents in Japan, CEO, chairman, etc., is is going higher and higher every year. So in, in uh, 1990, it was uh, 40, uh, 50, uh, 54 years old, and it's now uh, 59.7, so almost 60 years old. Uh, of course, almost all of them are uh, men. So we have basically only old guys 
uh, at the top of, of the bigger Japanese companies. Uh, the average age of board directors for uh, the top uh, 200 companies in Japan is 66.8 years old. So again, very old uh, top management uh, on the board of directors. And only 6% of directors uh, in the boards of Japanese companies uh, are women, only 6%. In Europe or in the US, it's 25%. So it's not yet parity, but it's still much higher than in Japan. So uh, we have only old guys uh, holding holding the the decision uh, in those in those companies. And there has been a change. Is it just this week happened uh, that companies in Japan have to disclose how many women are in leadership positions? Right. This is a new rule, um, but they should also have to disclose the ages. They should make it public how old the, all their leadership is because one of the things that you contrast is the consumer awareness, the echo consumer is younger. The yes. activists are young. Exactly. Yes. And if, yes. Your, yes. if your governance, if your leadership is so gapped and so different generation from what the consumers want, that's not good for business, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Uh, what, what we know and we see it happening in the world is that the willingness to move and to change things more rapidly is coming from young people and, and, and mainly women. Greta Thunberg is not an old guy. And uh, so you just show a photo. I had a few photos that I found when I was looking for photos of protests. And we see that it's young women that are driving. So it's completely the opposite of what is uh, in uh, decision-making position in Japanese companies. Um, so we need uh, younger people, and we need we need more women in in uh, positions where they can have an influence on the decision made by the company on its strategy uh, for for sustainability. And this is not happening yet in in Japan, unfortunately. Well, if all of your leadership is of a very different generation, it's very hard to make those changes, right? Yes, yes. Um, um, let's let's talk about greenwashing. Yes. <laughs> greenwashing <laughs> is such an important big issue and something that I'm sure you're trying to deal with uh, when you consult with clients and trying yes. to make sure they are very transparent and honest and open about what they're doing and what they're trying to do and what they still need to do, right? So it's yes. not greenwashing. Yes, exactly. Um, so greenwashing has been going on since, I would say, uh, the pressure has been uh, increasing on companies to be more aligned with what is required for the environment. Uh, greenwashing is, is techniques that companies use to pretend they're acting, but actually they're not doing enough or fast enough or not ambitious enough. Uh, so it's, it's something they use to, I would say, to, to buy time and to keep business as, as usual as long as possible without changing the products, without changing how uh, the uh, the factories are, are, are powered, 
without changing the way they transport the, the product, etc. Um, but but uh, this is uh, less and less effective because the level of education of consumers in some countries, the level of education of investors, the level of uh, or the limits set by regulations are all increasing and, and making it more and more difficult to greenwash. Uh, for example, in the EU now, uh, if you want to label uh, a financial product as green, you have to give proofs that it's actually uh, supporting green activities. If it's not, the regulators can ask you to uh, drop your green credential and just label your bond as a bond, but not a green bond. So this is happening at regulation level. It is happening also as you uh, was visible on the slide that you just show um, uh, by attacks, uh, either from uh, shareholders. So we have we have here the example in uh, June 2021 in the US uh, with ExxonMobil, big oil and gas uh, group that was attacked by an activist uh, investor called Engine Number One. Uh, engine number one had only uh, one out of 5,000 um, in terms of, of, of uh, shares of ExxonMobil. It's tiny. They only had one of, uh, I mean, they are 5,000 uh, times smaller than the market capitalization of ExxonMobil. And still, they managed, they managed to um, run a campaign to get enough support from other shareholders to push three board of uh, three directors of the board of ExxonMobil out and put their own candidates more aligned with the expectations in terms of climate strategy of ExxonMobil. So this happened in, in June amazing. last year. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and in a way, it's what uh, we talked earlier with Kiko Network and market forces in, in uh, on Japanese banks uh, is, is, is happening now. It's not yet. Uh, to the level uh, of uh, what happened in the US with uh, directors of the board that are uh, invited to, to go out. Um, but this is moving. We also have um, uh, local governments attacking, like the city of New York, who attacked uh, some oil and gas companies, ExxonMobil again, and uh, I think BP Shell, uh, because the city of New York considered that those companies were deceiving New Yorkers, citizens of New York. So the city is acting to protect the citizens against greenwashing. Um, so stories like that, there are more and more uh, of attacks from investors, from NGOs, from local governments, from regulators against greenwashing. It was also a strong message at COP26 last year. Uh, even the UN uh, Secretary General said that uh, we need to stop greenwashing. The UN will uh, from this year, 2022, uh, start to be more active on that and implement some measures to uh, make it more difficult for companies to, to greenwash. Yeah. So we want to we want to push that message in Japan as well. That's so important. I always, if I ever talk to any companies and I always, if as a consumer, if I ever see any package that I think is greenwashing or maybe it's true, I always make sure to ask the staff and find out and then research. And I think the young consumer who is sustainability motivated 
they are good researchers and yes. they will find out if it's true or not. And if it's not true, watch out because they are yes. going to very, not only are they not going to buy your product, but they're going to tell everybody on social media exactly. not to buy your product. So it's dangerous to greenwash now, I think. Yes, yes, yes. It's a risk. There are many risks to which, to which Japanese co uh, companies, but including Japanese companies, are exposed if they, not, if they do not align with climate in a more honest way without greenwashing. And one is exactly that one that you mentioned. It's a reputational risk. If if you are not good enough, or if you pretend that you're good but you're not, and people realize, then you will uh, have a negative impact on your reputation, and it will be very difficult to uh, reestablish that reputation, especially if the population and the customers are demanding, and if the media is playing uh, their role. So that that's where we still have some work to do in Japan, because even if there's an issue of greenwashing. It's unlikely that it will be headlines in the media, but I think it will be coming. Uh, and as you said, younger generation is more demanding on that. Uh, what we could uh, hope to see more developed in Japan is solutions to make it easier for consumers to understand what they buy. There are some apps in Europe, for example, in France, there's a, an app that you can use to scan the, the, the barcode of a product in a supermarket, and you have all the data environmental data showing on your phone. So even if it's not displayed by the, the the company that makes the product, you can have the information on your phone thanks to this app. Uh, so I would like I would like to see that kind of app developed in Japan to make it easier for consumers when they are buying to understand what they do because it's not always on the label. No, it's it's uh, often hidden. Um, yeah. I'll I'll give you a, a really easy example. Uh, there's a wonderful group on Facebook and they have their own website. They're very active called, Is It Vegan? Mm -hmm. And uh, people are always checking Japanese products with, is it vegan? Is this really vegan? And the most surprising one I saw was almond milk. Mm -hmm. Now almond milk, and they had like a very technical scientific name, which ended up being from animals, from pigs. Mm. And you wouldn't expect almond milk not to be vegan, right? Mm. And so everybody on this group, and there's thousands of people following this group, were now never going to buy that brand, not just that product, right? Mm. So being transparent is such a key part of having loyal customers and being successful going forward, I imagine. Yes, yes. You, uh, I, I heard in an event maybe two months ago that uh, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to bullshit. So re uh, regulators, consumers, they are, they are more educated now than five years, ten years ago. And uh, you, can, you can buy time, you can try to keep greenwashing, but it will not last forever. And the later you move into a new mindset where you actually transform your business to a more sustainable model, the later you do that, the more at risk you are because all your competitors will, will already have moved. Maybe your consumers will have moved to other products. And if you, if you move too late, uh, potentially you're dead as a company. Also because you keep investing in a production capacity that is not sustainable using, I don't know, coal for your uh, uh, power production or uh, transportation solutions that are not clean. 
so the the more you wait, the more expensive it will be, and the more dangerous it will be for your company to 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 actually do that transformation that you will have to do at some point. It's it's like when Kodak tried to resist uh, digital photography. So Kodak was like, no, it's it's okay. We can keep doing uh, analog. Or or how Toyota was resisting electric cars for mm. many, for a long time. Eventually, they realize the trend is there. They have to change. Um, one of the interesting things I, I think about your business is how you help businesses transition. So your theory, your philosophy is educate, empower, engage. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, yes. So we are very proud of these three E's. <laughs> Educate, empower, and engage. We found, we found that, and it's also the, also the E of environment. Uh, what we wanted to have is, uh, I would say, uh, a catalog of services that can be seen uh, like a journey, starting from from scratch. So we imagine that some companies that don't really know what's happening in the world in terms of, of corporate decarbonization trends, what I explain about what investors, regulators are doing in other parts of the world. So that's the educate component. We explain to Japanese companies what's happening, what are the risks if they don't move, if they don't listen to what's happening, and help them realize that there is this need. So it's the education part. Then once uh, they've realized that there's something to do, or maybe they already knew, but they don't know how to do it, it's the second part, it's uh, empower. Uh, we uh, will help Japanese companies improve their transition strategy using a methodology that's been developed in Europe called ACT. So ACT is really focused on the transition strategy between the disclosure of what you're doing now, that we mentioned before with standards like CDP, CFD, and the long-term target ACT. And the transition strategy is, is the, the concrete roadmap and how you will move year after year towards your target. So we will help Japanese companies establish those transition strategies and also uh, improve the way they communicate towards uh, investors and especially foreign investors about those strategies. Uh, it's the integrated report or ESG reports that, that big companies have to publish for their investors. And again, there's a lot of greenwashing going in those documents. Uh, sometimes I think Japanese companies do not realize that they are greenwashing they just repeat what the Japanese government is saying, and they think it's okay, but actually it's not okay because it's, it's not aligned with what we expect in other parts of the world and what investors in Europe or in the US are expecting. So I think there's maybe some kind of uh, naive approach of, of that by some Japanese companies that I think they are okay because they just follow the regulations of Japan, but because the regulation and policies of Japan are not ambitious enough and not align with what Japan should be doing for the price agreement, it's actually not okay. So it's, it's, it's still greenwashing. Even if you're okay with the regulation in your country, it's not okay for the rest of the world. So we want to help also uh, companies on that and, and better explain their plans uh, with uh, more transparency and uh, more credibility when they are read by foreign investors. And the third component of the educate uh, empower engage uh, pillar is uh, the uh, interface the dialogue between japanese companies and uh, investors especially foreign investors so on that we can help for example uh, foreign investors 
to understand uh, the quality or the readiness of Japanese companies in their portfolio. Uh, there are investors in Europe, in the US, that hold uh, shares in Japanese companies, and they may at some point want to see if uh, those companies are um, at risk or not uh, because of good or not good uh, climate plans. So we can provide that service to investors. And also we plan to organize workshops where we uh, gather um, the, the two sides of, of this dialogue, investors from abroad and Japanese companies to help them better understand each other and establish that active dialogue uh, and break that, that kind of uh, barrier that exists sometime between Japan and the rest of the world. So it's really the idea of bridge that I mentioned several times that is important for us. Um, we want to break that kind of uh, insulation that some Japanese companies have established around themselves or that maybe sometimes Japanese regulations uh, establish. This is moving, by the way, because um, Tokyo Stock Exchange from this year is making it mandatory for the top Japanese companies to disclose more information in English. Uh, so, so far, Japanese companies could decide to do it or not. But now it's becoming mand mandatory. It's not only on climate, it's disclosure of uh, information for investors, but it includes information about your climate plans and suitability plans. So regulations are also starting to, to, to push companies in Japan as well on that. So interesting. Now you have a good background um, for doing the bridge between Europe and Japan. Uh, you were working for an uh, organization uh, with Japan and Europe organization, SPIPA, is that right? Yes, yes. So SPIPA was the name of the project uh, for strategic partnership for the implementation of the Paris Agreement, SPIPA. Uh, and it was a project funded by the EU to uh, promote the Paris Agreement and its actual implementation in various countries, including Japan. So I was in charge of implementing the Japanese component. Um, uh, so for that project, I was working at the EU-Japan Center for Industrial Cooperation, which is an entity funded by um, the Japanese Ministry, METI, Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry of Japan, and the European Commission. It's a joint uh, non-profit organization. Uh, and uh, so I was in charge of that, of that project, SPIPA. The focus was uh, concrete climate action in cooperation between Japanese and European partners, mainly companies, but also local governments. So we had a series of events uh, in 2020, 2021 on uh, renewable energy like offshore wind, uh, green hydrogen, uh, clean transportation, the role of uh, local uh, ecosystems for decarbonization, etc. So we gathered a, a quite significant audience throughout the series of events with speakers from both sides. It was very interesting. It also uh, confirmed something that I already knew because before that I was working in the French embassy on similar topics. And I, I already saw at that time that Japan and Europe can work together on that and they can work more on that. Um, there are some good comp complementarities in terms of technologies. Uh, Europe is, I would say, a bit more advanced now on most public policies and therefore technologies because companies will align technologies with public policies. Uh, so there, there are some experience that Japan can use uh, from European players 
in offshore wind, for example, uh, where Japan is trying to accelerate now. Uh, we have a significant experience in Europe that Japan could use more uh, to make it easier to deploy at, at lower cost. Uh, on hydrogen, you mentioned Toyota. So Toyota, those cars, those bus using hydrogen in Europe. In Europe, we have companies who know how to produce green hydrogen. So they can work together to have uh, the full value chain from production to the end use in the car of real clean uh, mobility using hydrogen. So there are many this This is a big concern for a lot of people about hydrogen in Japan. Um, is it really going to be made with clean <laughs> renewable <laughs> energy? Because it's very energy intensive to make hydrogen. Hydrogen in use is wonderful and clean. Um, and it's very efficient. You can run your cars and trains and even airplanes maybe on yeah. hydrogen. But how you make hydrogen is really important. So this yes. must have been a really good discussion. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and and we, I saw in the organization of that event that uh, the European vision of hydrogen and Japanese vision of hydrogen were different, as you mentioned. Um, it's important to consider how hydrogen is, produ is produced. And there's sometimes a misconception that hydrogen is clean. But it's the same as saying that electricity is clean. It doesn't mean anything. If electricity is, po is, is produced with coal, it's not clean. If it's produced with offshore wind or solar, it's clean. It's exactly the same for hydrogen. And in Europe, we have a clear vision that hydrogen should be green. It should be produced from renewable sources. It's, it's the, the main pillar of the European uh, Union's uh, hydrogen policy, it's, it's green hydrogen. In Japan, it's not yet uh, so much connected. There is the idea of developing hydrogen in Japan um, because it's clean where you use it. So in the car or in your house, there's, there's no emission of CO2, that's true. But at the source where you produce the hydrogen, there may be some emissions if you produce it using coal like some Japanese companies are doing now in Australia. Uh, so it's clean in Japan, but it's not clean in Australia. And that's the problem. And it's, it's a very good illustration of what we mentioned before of greenwashing. Because if you don't explain how you produce your hydrogen and still say that it's clean, it can be greenwashing. Because if you don't prove that it's green hydrogen, well, it's not, it's not really clean. And it's also a good example of the level of um, I would say lower awareness or, uh, or expectation of the Japanese press. I, I read a lot of articles in Japanese newspaper where hydrogen is introduced as a clean energy source. But, but it's not a source of energy. It's just a vector that you use to transport coal, uh, solar, wind. That is the primary source of energy. And journalists don't make that, that link. And they just promote hydrogen because also it's part of I would say kind of um, Japanese uh, industrial policy supported by the government and, and big players. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very good example of what we discussed before, of the risk of greenwashing and the it's, level of education. Yeah, it's not... one to watch, I think, to watch and keep reading about and keep checking and keep asking about. Uh, yeah. One kind of recent development is about renewable energy in Japan. So with wind, offshore wind or solar, um, you talked about uh, eco cities, uh, clusters and regions. 
recently I was contacted by Shizen Denka. We had mm-hmm. we have solar on our house, but it's not enough. So we also source from Shizen Denka. They just contacted us saying they're going out of business mm-hmm. at the end of the year. And please transfer to another electric company. And I was so sad. Of course, I can transfer to another renewable resource company, but this should not be happening. Yes. Any renewable energy company in Japan should be thriving. What's happening? Do you know, Stefan? Mm, well, I've, well, there, there, there are a lot of factors and things happening since one, two years in the energy market globally. So there's a lot of movement and it's very complicated to predict what's going to happen. And even some companies in renewable energy sector in other countries are sometimes having difficulties. I think there's a lot of regulations, complicated mechanisms that sometimes will uh, index the price of renewable energy with the price of fossil fuels, even if it doesn't make sense. There are some mechanisms like that that make it, make it, will make it difficult to, to have a sustainable business, even though you are selling clean energy that is not produced from uh, fossil fuels with, uh, with uh, volatile prices. So that's one thing. One other thing I think is the lower demand. As we mentioned before, uh, consumers, unfortunately, in Japan are not as demanding of clean products, including clean energy, as in other parts of the world. Um, I, I, when I, so I moved three times in, in Japan. I changed house three times. And never, when I visited the house, the owner asked me, do you want that? Uh, supplier from your for your power or that other one it was always tepco the question was never asked i had to ask and for this uh, as that i have now i asked i want minandel yoku i want renewable energy but if if i don't ask the question as as the the tenant of the of the house no one will ask um, and again i think it's a matter of uh, understanding of uh, people owner or people who rent but also a matter of regulations. Uh, again, to use an example from France, in France, you cannot rent as a as an owner. You cannot rent your home, your apartment, to anyone if you don't do uh, uh, energy efficiency diagnosis and give the paper to the person who is going to rent or buy uh, your uh, your apartment or your house. It's impossible to to be not transparent. You have to do it. It's mandatory by law. It's, it doesn't exist in Japan. So you can get into a house that has zero insulation that maybe cannot be uh, connected to a supplier of renewable energy and you don't know because no one tells you there's no regulation to protect you. And maybe you realize six months, one, one, one year later, but it's too late because you're there and you cannot change. Um, so, so yeah. When you... This is where regulation really helps, right? And you were talking about uh, the positive influence of regulation pre- pressure. Um, yes. Do you want yes. to explain about this a little bit? Yes. So may- maybe I, I'm a bit biased on that because I, I used to work for the French Ministry of uh, Ecology, uh, Energy, Transport. So I, I used to work on public policies. And I tend, I tend to think that public policies have a strong influence in what's happening. Um, the example that we have on this slide is uh, carbon markets. So basically, carbon market is something that a regulator can set at the level of a country, or in the case of the European Union, at the level of the 27 countries of the European Union, where the regulator will give to each company 
a certain level of uh, emissions of carbon that they are allowed to do each year. They have quota. And at the end of the year, if the company has emitted more than their quota, they need to buy carbon credits. And if they have emitted less, they, are, they can sell their carbon credits. So that's why we call that a market. And the price of the credits uh, will go up if more companies uh, have emitted more, emitted more than what they can uh, do. Uh, and will go down if, if companies uh, have emitted less. And also each year, the regulator uh, can decide to reduce the quota. So gradually uh, driving down and make it, making it more and more difficult for companies to, um, um, well, to, to keep emitting uh, above what they are uh, supposed to, because the price of the credits will increase. So we have that tool in, in Europe since uh, now uh, more than 15 years. Uh, there has been some mis mishaps and difficulties at the beginning because it was new and it was difficult to, 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 to launch this very ambitious and complicated, complicated tool, but now it's working. Uh, it's been uh, set up in, in, in California, in the US. It's been set up in South Korea, uh, but it's, it doesn't exist in Japan yet. Uh, I've been hearing a lot the Ministry of Environment, the Ministry of Economy discussing about that since I would say five years. Uh, the Ministry of Environment, which is more pushy on climate, I think is more in favor on this, of this kind of, of tools. But the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry listens more maybe to companies and companies don't want that because basically it's a new source of pressure for them and possibly new costs if they emit more than their quota. So there's this resistance from the government to set up that, but it's, it's, well, it's recognized globally that it's one of the most uh, uh, efficient tool to drive companies to decarbonize because you don't impose any technology, you don't in impose any solution, you just put a price on carbon and then companies will adapt. It, it's some kind of natural selection. If they don't adapt, they will have to pay more and more to buy the credits from companies that have done the effort and that have credits to, to sell. So it's, it's really market-based tool. Companies are used to market-based tools. And, and it doesn't exist in Japan yet. There's some voluntary um, kind of system being uh, discussed now, but if it's only voluntary, it doesn't have the impact that it can have if it's mandatory and, and for everyone. And even China has that since uh, one year now. Yeah. Um, so regulation is important, consumer awareness and consumers engaging with the company and the product and asking questions is important. Uh, the company having good leadership that is thinking about the long term is important. Uh, Stefan, we have only a couple more minutes. What do you think is the number one thing you would advise businesses in Japan to start focusing on to make the sustainable transition? Mm, in terms of concrete action, uh, so without talking about plans or target setting or anything, I think the most impactful thing that a company can do to uh, improve its sustainability is, is thinking about their energy consumption. So reduce energy consumption, energy efficiency, but it's something that many Japanese companies did already in the 90s, so the level of energy efficiency in companies may be already good. It's not the case in housing, but in, in, in industry maybe. The, the other thing is, is decarbonize the mix. So instead of, of biopower from a supplier that use coal or fossil fuels, move 
to uh, suppliers that use more renewable energy. And it will also support the development of a stronger uh, renewable energy market, EPEN, and help drive uh, the offer by a stronger demand. And I think that's, that's the number one action because it's where most of the emissions come for individuals, but also for companies. That's a great answer. Good job. <laughs> I, I love so. it. Uh, we have a question from Azizi San on LinkedIn. Hi, Stefan and Joy. Does Australia ever feature in your discussions in Europe? Uh, um, Australia, yes. Well, what, we, what I see um, happening in Australia is that government is not uh, really active yet on, on climate. And I would say in that way is a bit aligned with the Japanese government. So kind of the not so good uh, pupils in the classroom, uh, a bit lagging behind and keep uh, supporting uh, coal and th those kind of energy. But when we look at uh, other stakeholders, like private companies, there's, there's some things happening in Australia. And it's one of the parts on the, of the countries where there's a lot of startups developing clean clean technologies uh, with a level of interest from investors that is increasing, but, but not yet the public policies to support that and make the transition more, more active and more ambitious. So I think that's something that Australia could do if the Australian government switched its mindset and um, well, would uh, move to the side of the climate uh, active governments like governments in, in Europe, now in the US with uh, the end of the Trump era and, and Joe Biden uh, back uh, on the press segment. Yeah, I've, I've seen so much exciting innovation and grassroots movement, a lot of young startups in Australia. Um, so I think like you, like you said, the government regulation right now is lacking. Uh, it's not very proactive and forward thinking but ocean uh impact organization is always doing startup challenges mm. there's a lot of great enthusiasm coming from australia so let's not give up hope for australia i think uh change is on the horizon yes 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 <laughs> and, and it's, it's important for japan because japan and australia can can work together on that they work already on hydrogen supply chain sometime with coal as i mentioned but there are also, there are also some projects to produce clean hydrogen with renewable energy in Australia with their space and import it to Japan to be used in Japan and it will be really clean. There's also the example that I mentioned earlier of Market Forces, which is an Australian NGO working with Kiko Network to push Japanese banks on climate. So th th there can be more talk between Japan and Australia, even without the government, companies to companies, NGOs to NGOs can already work together to, to, to start that dynamic until, until the government also uh, are embarked in that in that movement. Yeah, wonderful. Well, that is our time, Stefan. Uh, so Thank many you. great insights and ideas there. I would encourage anyone watching, if you're interested in what Stefan is doing, have a look at their wonderful website, uh, which I've added the link below, and uh, reach out to Stefan on LinkedIn as well, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for that, Joy. Thanks everyone for joining. Have Thanks a great everyone. night. Take care. Bye -bye. Thanks.